Hey folks, welcome to Listening Party. This is CFRC's uh, book club, but for albums. So it's sort of like an album club uh, where we, we listen to an album uh, and then we give you our thoughts uh, and opinions. They are the correct ones. They're the right opinions. Uh, and we have fun. Uh, so let's jump into this week's episode. This week for Listening Party, the album I chose was Malibu Ken by Aesop Rock and Tobacco. It's a collaborative effort between the two. They had previously worked a couple of times on a couple of different tracks. Uh, but this was a time uh, they produced the whole entire album together. And the reason why I chose it for our group is because a lot of us have different backgrounds when it comes to hip hop and understanding um, the, the culture of it. And I think this album is a really good contrast to what a lot of people believe hip hop to be and, and kind of where people immediately think of when they think of a hip hop album. I think this album kind of turns it on its head. So I thought it would be a great, great listen for us all to, to sit down and kind of pick apart. Yeah, yeah. I thought this album was sort of like an anti-hip-hop al- album in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Like, it does, it runs counter to, a, like, a, like like you said, like, a lot of the overarching themes and, like, braggadociousness oh, that you definitely. see in hip-hop. This is, like, the most self-deprecating album I think I've ever listened to. <laughs> and I listen to The National. So <laughs> That's very true, yeah, actually. it's a big deal. Uh, the more I was looking at each line and, and each <laughs> song, I was like... Oh wow, yeah, this is really, really tough on the self, right? It's it definitely paints Ace as a, you know, kind of like a in a negative light pretty much the whole time, or at least he's trying. It's like it's like the failed hero type, right? Like where he tries his best but it doesn't work out, which is not what you hear a lot when, when it you comes to. You try your best but you don't succeed. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. That was good. Thanks. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, you don't you don't hear a lot about that when people talk about hip hop as a whole as a genre. You hear a lot about people kind of glorifying the day to day life and and even pumping themselves up for other people, kind of uh, showing off, which wasn't always a thing, but it's now what a lot of people associate hip hop to be and to be about. And well, I um, guess with like battle rap too. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta like one up each other, right? Like the whole mm. time. And uh, but this album does the complete opposite. You know, this album goes into a completely different direction where it's like, I'm going to talk about how disgusting and depressed I am. I'm going to talk about very like rudimentary and and elementary things that just go on in day to day life and how it is juxtaposed to how I give myself to other people and how I show myself off. And again, I thought uh, if anyone is ever on the fence when it comes to kind of diving deep into the genre of hip hop. I definitely think this would be a great place to start. And I think the more we talk about it, the more you'll understand why. Yeah, I think like the self-deprecation uh, is can sort of be informed by uh, Aesop Rock's uh, biography. Because like like he was born in New York um, and now, now lives in Portland. But the interesting thing I found is that he has two brothers. One's a lawyer and one's a Harvard law professor. Oh no way! Yeah, I had no idea. And then idea. he just like makes these crappy rap songs, <laughs> so that that could sort of make you feel like you're underachieving, even if you are like you know pretty popular, famous rapper. Oh yeah, like you know, no matter how much other people might respect you in your field, specifically, as soon as you say I'm a rapper and this person's a lawyer, 
uh, and this person graduated from Harvard, like you're yeah. obviously going to be put on like a lower total. Yeah, that's different there. tiers for sure. Yeah, yeah. Another interesting thing that I found out about uh, Ace while I was researching this is that uh, in 2014, uh, there's this guy who did a study on his vocabulary throughout yes. his oh, yeah. uh, career. Very classic uh, study. And they found that his music uh, surpassed 85 other major hip-hop uh, artists in, in the field and Shakespeare in terms of how many different ver- words he uses throughout uh, his raps. Yes. Wild. Which you can you can tell immediately. Like, as soon as you for the, put the first track on, for this album you know you're in for a time it is so incredibly dense uh every line is just packed full he there's very few times where you think oh that's like a filler word or that's like a transitional word to get the point across a lot of that is cut out and you're kind of filling in the blanks he's just giving you like the subject constantly yeah this like this is only our second album that we've done uh but already i was like this is so much harder than, than Dan Man. <laughs> it was just so like, dense. You know, because you guys schooled me with your English degrees last time, I was like, all right, this time I'm going to like take some more time on the lyrics. And I looked at them. I was like, nope. Fra- Frankie <laughs> just shook her head at Steph so hard right there. Yeah. I've been listening to Aesop Rock for a lot of years and a lot of his stuff I really, really enjoy. Like Skeleton is my favorite album by him and it's incredibly lyrically dense. And it just keeps going like faster and faster and faster. (laughs) And you just like either you just keep listening enough times that you understand his intonation to the point where you can understand what he's saying or you just give up and you're like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or you just kind of sit back and take it and you're like, you're like, yeah, "Yeah, well, you know, he's he's doing a really good job. And I didn't know that word before. (laughs) I'm going to assume that it's used correctly. (laughs) You know what? Like most of the time correct usage and he, you know he's a little bit better than shakespeare too because he doesn't make up any words that's true that, that is true <laughs> that is true and then i was thinking a lot about like what all three of you said about the weird flavor of the album and like i was thinking about that when i was listening to it for the first time and i was just trying to like mix together the way that his beats are a lot slower usually than a lot of classic hip-hop that we listen to and then how his flow is incredibly fast like probably oh. one of the fastest that I've ever listened to unless somebody's specifically trying to show off how fast they can go. Right, like he's right. the most consistently quick out of any mm-hmm. hip hop artist that I listen to. And I came up with the really gross term doom hop. Ooh, doom hop. Cause it made me like have little tiny auditory panic attacks okay. the whole time. Oh, so not related to MF doom at all. Well it is, but like <laughs> that would be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. He's pretty close to MF doom. Yeah. Though. They've got a similar flavor. They yeah. do. Um, a, a thing you were saying about, you know, the sound of the album. I actually I looked into Tobacco. Yeah. And his background. Tobacco is the producer for the album. So good. Oh. Like, let me just like get that in there I've right heard now. Before. It's wild. <laughs> I, I'm so, so glad you guys are excited about this one because the first yeah. time I heard it was just like mind blowing. So good. But in my research, uh, before when I was looking up this album, somebody likened this to being dropped in a funhouse. <laughs> and I thought that that yeah. was the best analogy for this album. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you have the album, like the actual physical vinyl, before you're able to open it up and take the vinyl out, you have to peel Malibu Ken's face off. And then underneath is like a, just like an actual skull with like maggots coming out of it and like flesh falling off. And then you can pop the Malibu Ken face out of the actual vinyl cover and make it into a yeah, mask you, that you can, can wear. wear. It into a mask. Yeah. Yeah, so so tobacco. Um, you guys might have heard 
about tobacco before without necessarily knowing who he is. Uh, he is one of the members. He's the front man of Black Moth Super Rainbow. And they won. They, they made a huge stink when they started. Like, everyone was talking about them for a long time because it was just so different, especially in, like, the psych rock scene. Um, particularly because all of their stuff was done uh, with analog instruments. So, like, there's it was just synthesizers. It was recorded on tape. Um, you know, it was it was a full actual band, and they didn't produce their stuff as high quality or what you would come to expect from like a studio produced album it was all very much diy and i think when you listen to the tracks on malibu ken um i I couldn't find anything about it but i'm going to assume that it's all with uh analog sounds again like there was no hint of this was produced using like you know uh fl studio or something like that like there's no hint of anything other than just recording synthesizers um to produce like the beats which is incredible because that hardly ever happens with hip-hop hip-hop is known for sampling music sampling beats uh kind of bringing those two things together every once in a while you'll get a full band to play backing tracks um, but this is the first time I found an album where it's just, you know, the, the producer is just a guy with a synthesizer. Yeah. Um, and, and the music itself, if you, if you try to separate Aesop from the background music, the music itself sounds like it could just be its own like psych album almost. Yeah. Like the, the vibe that I got, like Steph said, fun house for me, it's almost like, like a, an eighties kids cartoon, but like something's gone horribly wrong. It's funny that you mentioned the eighties video game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's also right. funny that you mentioned video games. Yeah. Cause he recently made a video game soundtrack. What a shocker. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He also says, uh, talking about the eighties, he doesn't do many interviews. Tobacco is really, uh, secluded hmm. when it comes to like the public presence thing. Uh, but he says, when he was talking about tobacco, the persona. Uh, so with tobacco, I wanted to embrace my beats and get darker and sleeker with it all. I want to make you feel paranoid in a good way. There's something seriously blanked up about workout tapes from the mid eighties and just about everything obscure on beta tape. They make me feel awful, but really good and curious at the same time with this tobacco stuff. I'm trying to translate that feeling. Yeah. Uh, like, I think that like does really translate to what he's doing. Oh, one hundred percent. But also like just as uh, besides the fact that like Aesop and Tobacco, like this album just works beautifully, and like their two styles like mesh well together. I think they have the same sort of sensibilities too, uh, like with this uh, sort of like an obsession with things that are like dark and like forgotten and like verminesque. Uh, like Tobacco, his name. Uh, I found comes from the character Tobacco Man. Yes, uh, yeah. Which is a character from a 1987 like trashy horror movie called Redneck Zombies. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I found that and I was like, I I have to watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like uh, between like Tobacco's name and like the the lyrical content of this album, it like there is this sort of fixation with you know like awful, gross like evil things and relating to them oh 100 uh, which uh for is is a big vibe for me and especially like uh the friends that i have back in Welland. <laughs> like this is an album they that they would love because there are 
like all like obsessively identifying with just like you know i, I like, just vermin just like, like lesser <laughs> beings and like things that you'd rather not think about fringe culture yeah and and kind of like the underbelly of society and what's it called uh, outsider art is yeah that a, is that a thing yeah where it's where it's kind of like you know you you're you're taking a you're you're peering in from the outside taking a look at what's going on mm-hmm. but also he kind of throws himself in the rough in the rough of it a lot um yeah no for sure like there's a lot of times in this album where the relatability factor is so strong like you mm-hmm. hear some lines and you're like the one line that got me i i had to pause and look at frankie and i was like i had no idea he said this um was it uh second oh it's on the second track it's on tuesday I think that's a good one to start with too, because I, I feel like that so really, good. you know, encompasses his whole vibe about, Hey, this is who I am. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or he like cares a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the it's fridge is pretty much a home for mayonnaise alone. That little line. I was like, yeah, I've, I've been there Yeah, <laughs> where it's just, you just look at, you just have condiments and, and you're just chilling and you're like, man, I really want to make dinner, but all I have is, ketchup <laughs> and it's expired yeah yeah. Oh, yeah but you have it anyway i got some old milk um but i think tuesday the second track which was also the second single released from the album is such a good introduction to the album not to overlook the first track but when it comes to talking about what this album is about tuesday really sums it up well um what were you guys' first impressions on it or, or or anything that you really wanted to yeah, say. Yeah, so I systematically listened to this song about every day for two years. <laughs> um, She's got a lot to say about this album. <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. It was it's it's nice when the music jives with how you're feeling, and it's nice when the when the vibes turn out that right. Um, yeah, yeah. I just thought this song was like a really candid look at depression because normally we get such a like a canned goods version of depression where it's like oh you're kind of sad and like you're kind of messy and like you're not really doing anything he's like no i'm fucking disgusting yeah we we definitely tend to especially in media you see like the the romantic side of depression right yeah where it's like we're both sad together but we'll help each other out yeah and it's i i really really enjoyed that the implication for the song is like perhaps that the fact that he is also still living is also the botanical epic and him still being alive even though he's disgusting is also still surprising and the pretty desert rose of of the lifetime yeah do you yeah. want to explain that botanical epic line because that one really sticks yeah out i wrote for that me. one down yeah Ooh, you want me to do it or you want dino no, to do I, it? Would, no I would love it if you did it oh, i don't have that one written down because my my favorite line from this whole song is piss black roof tar bleed flat cherry coke because that's what i do in real life <laughs> <laughs> oh they're laughing because they know it's true um, yeah her hydration routine is not very on point Okay, let's not talk about. You brought it up. I, you know what? I'll keep bringing it up, and then Stephanie has to. <laughs> yeah, this edit is the rest it of out. The pod. <laughs> so the two lines are: I can't even keep a cactus alive when I'm present. When I'm gone, it's a groundbreaking botanical epic. So the rest of it goes from a desolate little shop of horrors in a second. It's weird knowing life thrives more when you exit. So it's talking a little bit about um, the way that the ecosystem that is his house or his life when he's not on tour is more able to thrive when he's not there messing with it and trying to make decisions or trying to control the different things that are happening in it and so i think the epic is really that 
understanding that if you take a step back, usually life will figure out a way to adapt to the new situation that it's in. Right. But because the society that we're in demands that you be profitable and hardworking, you don't always get a chance to let let that go a little bit. And I think a lot of the tension that comes through in the album is a lot of um, whether or not you're profitable in late capitalism and what that looks like in the form of art and whether or not maybe that art's the little botanical epic that we get when people that are obviously this depressed stay alive enough to make this much music. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. I think another interesting point about this song is, uh, like you said, like this is a song about depression that isn't wearing it on its sleeve. Like you, you have to like listen to the song and really digest what he's saying. Oh yeah, uh, the chorus isn't just yeah. like I'm sad. And I think I'm I think what it is time. is like if you've had really bad clinical depression, the literal first two lines are like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember just like, cause it's so surgical. Mm-hmm. Like even the line where they're like cutting a cyst out in the kitchen, like you don't care about yourself at all. You yeah. don't care like what kind of pain you're in or what happens as a result of you doing these horrible things. But maybe if you're not relating to it on like that bodily level or you haven't gotten there yet, you have to really pay attention Right, to, like, and that's what, what I'm means. saying. It goes by fast. Like, uh, like a lot of songs, at least like in my experience, a lot of songs that like try to tackle depression or uh, sort of explain what it feels like, focus like become very cerebral. It's very like thinking about right. how I feel, like what's going on in my head, uh, because like it's like a turning inward. Yeah, it in being a lot of ways. like frustrating or illogical how you think. Yes. Yeah, and this doesn't. He do, focuses exclusively on what is physically happening around him, right, right? And that paints a much more vivid picture of what's going on inside, even though he doesn't really explain how he feels about it. Yeah, uh, he just like sort of shrugs. And he's like, "Yeah, mushrooms ruined my car. Uh, you know, my face is covered with pimples. Yeah, you know, his, whatever." His behavior is showing way more about how he thinks about I it. Think he, exactly, he does maybe a little bit reference it, like. But I think it's just the relation of the way that other people look at him and mm-hmm. the way that they recognize his depression because it is so bodily in the way yeah. that he describes it. Because he has uh, very much another whack job with a megaphone, very much another flat slob playing chess alone. So it's like he's talking a lot about like the way he feels like he's speaking into a void and there's like nothing to answer back. And like the isolation is very real for him. And he understands that struggle where he could be less isolated if he did specific things, but he doesn't want to and he won't. Yeah. Uh, a- another thing that struck me uh, about this uh, song was a lot of food imagery. Like, mm. it's a really gross song. And he, like, like these verses are, like, you know, sort of st- stomach churning. Even just, like, reading them without even hearing him uh, right, rap right. it. And then you look at uh, the album cover. Yeah, and the album <laughs> cover itself, like, is trying to gross you out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it trying to make you uncomfortable. Uh <laughs> But, like, uh, a lot of food imagery uh, emerges that I found. Like, the mushroom growing in his car. He talks about having a pizza face. Yeah, like, a specifically, that line is so much right there. Yeah. When it comes to the imagery, the pizza face is pepperoni, carbuncle, and caper. I'm bunions and conditions, bumps, lumps, and bruises. Like, that's, yeah, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, a little further in that verse, he says, not a butcher, not a baker. So he's got all this food imagery but again, like he's not in control of it. He's not cr- like trying to actively create anything. It's just sort of like organically he has to <laughs> deal with this 
non-nutritional food yeah yeah like it's just kind of happening yeah comes up a ton in his like earlier work too as well like there's a song on skeleton called gopher guts which like goes along with like the old like i don't know i I sang it in sparks but like the greasy grimy gopher guts stuff so they go into like gross nursery rhymes and then he has another one on uncluded which is the duo album he did with kimya dawson called um I think it's called eyeball soup where it's a, the similar thing where the body is disassembled and sent out to people where those specific body parts will be helpful but huh. the, the, the body as oh, a yeah. whole is not helpful as a person it's only the pieces individually that can help other people so it's this total yeah. like dismemberment of the self and the unproductive depressed body to create something better with the little parts that are left and distributed and it's very disgusting yeah yeah gross out culture is really prevalent throughout this whole album. Mm-hmm. Like like what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, not only gross out culture, but like kind of like fringe art and, and fringe works and stuff like that. Um, even the, the album artist, like the person who did the album art, his whole catalog is just gross out art, like very much garbage pale kids. I was going to say garbage yeah. pale kids. Um, and even the idea it's funny because the the title of the album Malibu Ken is a complete juxtaposition of that feeling, right? Oh yeah. Um which I think we get into further the more we listen to the album is that he puts on this persona in front of people, right? Mm-hmm. This Malibu Ken that he sees himself as to other people, but in this track on Tuesday is how he feels when that's all stripped down. Yeah, when he's at home. Yeah, when he's when he's just dealing with things uh, on a very base level and not worried about like social interactions necessarily. Yeah. I ju- I have one more point about this song uh, before we, mo- before we move on, uh, which is uh, like this whole song. Uh, he like lists off all these gross things happening like to his own body and like to his own house uh, and what have you. And like, he's got this like tone of sort of like ironic, like nonchalance. He's like, yeah, there's a mushroom growing in my car, whatever. Like, I'm cool with it. This is just, like, what's happening to me. But whenever he gets to something really gross, like the self-surgery that he performs in his kitchen. Right, right. Uh, or uh, he's, he talks about maybe one day uh, he'll go deeper, really exercise the demon at the root. Like, maybe one day I'll get my act together. He moves from the first person, I, to the second person, he. So, like, he can't, like, actually engage with what's happening to him directly when he looks at like the really horrible things that are going on in his life it's he has to deal with this not me right i can't engage with it right which I right found interesting. Uh, uh, like a disassociation yeah from, so from so he's not actually horrible. as ironically detached as he is trying to be right right he, he's not like you know casually taking a step back like it's more visceral than that mm-hmm. even think a lot of it with that especially with that song like going between the i and the we is that or the i and the he also the we the listener whatever um it comes across as like very angry when people assume that they understand him or what like his depression specifically looks like and i think that's a lot of it where it's like the i and the he because like the assumption comes down that it'll still be the same him once the cleaning is done and he's under the assumption that it won't be the same person which comes up a couple more times in the album where he's like, if I make any kind of change, like I won't be the same person at all. And like, you have to stop pretending that you understand me like even a little bit. He seems like very, very angry when people make any kind of assumption about either like his personal life or his role as an artist. Yeah. I think, um, 
is everyone good with talking about that track? Yeah. How did how did you feel about that? Like, okay, first time listening to that track. Track comes on. It's Tuesday. How did you feel? All right. So something I noticed, like this, um, it's track number two on the album, but it didn't really click in my brain until I heard this track. Um, from like the sound standpoint. Oh, y'all yeah. are the lyrics people. I'm the sound people. <laughs> no, that's totally cool. I went into this as a sound person too. Yeah. I, I just wanted to seem smart for the show. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Um, but I really like his, uh, I don't know the term for it. Like he enunciates the like K's and the R's a lot. Oh, his annotations are annotations. like very specific. Yeah. To- so I didn't notice this in like the first song because, you know, it's just, well, never heard him before. Right. I should also clarify, I'd never heard any of his music before. No, eh? Um, this is a great introduction, I think. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's quite good, especially because I love the production behind it. Yeah. I think that really helped mm-hmm. bring me into it a bit more as somebody who's not super familiar with hip hop. Definitely. But I definitely appreciated that kind of intonation. It pushed the music along almost a little faster and it kind of matched as well, especially in this track, the very aggressive background beat going on. Yeah. Because it's very rough and not like it's not a clean beat at all. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think what you're saying makes perfect sense because my first thought when I think of Aesop Rock is he's he, the way that he enunciates things and how his vocals are so in the forefront and almost it's as if the music is trying to catch up to him and you feel that right oh for sure there were um, so many times where i was like he's going too fast but then all of a sudden the music would catch up yeah i was like okay okay yeah yeah like it, my first thought is um you know playing in bands and stuff like that the drums lead and everyone follows like the drums are what keep the tempo but in this you immediately y- your rhythm is coming from him right like and and how he's spacing out his his rhymes like that's what's keeping you in that groove and locked in yeah, not necessarily oh yeah it yeah. throws you off because it's like it's uh it's almost as if someone's singing acapella but then there's also music going on i think it's because his <laughs> rhyme schemes are like i like i can't even like describe them if you look at youtube videos where they like break down how his rhymes actually work they look like rainbows there's like 15 colors on the page and they're showing you like this rhymes with this four lines down but in the middle of the break not at the end and like the end rhymes are different from like the middle break rhymes but there's two different rhyme schemes going on in the next four lines and you're like i don't know what's going on but it sounds really good (laughs) yeah yeah. like it sounds crazy like you don't even have to i feel like you don't have to keep up like you you feel like he's going so fast and and you're trying to sparse it out and then eventually you're kind of like oh maybe i don't have to i think follow along with absolutely every word it feels to me like when you listen to like really intense classical music i know you're familiar with a lot of stuff like that but it almost reminds me of like listening to tchaikovsky like you don't have to like understand what he's doing to like understand that it's impactful and like really impressive but like you listen to this and you're like i have no idea what you're doing but like you're a genius well then it's hard for something like this because again i was listening to this and i like when i messaged you guys earlier i was like this is an amazing album but it's so dense i was like i don't know how we're going to talk about this for a listening audience yeah and i'm not going to sound like i'm only getting like (laughs) 0.3 percent of what's going on i think that's the the kind of the beauty of this album because until today i hadn't looked into what these songs were about I I understood the feeling based on words that I could pick out and I, I it was more like passive listening before 
where I would put it on and I'm like, I knew what he was saying and I knew it was coming up, but I never pieced it together. Right. Um, and I think you can totally do that. And I, and, and I feel like there's some references to that kind of idea in his songs where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, even in this song, like shrugging off messes and stuff like that. I feel like it's the same thing where you listen to it and you're like, this is a lot. I don't know if I could take it all. I feel like you could apply the same idea where it's like, oh, that's okay. He yeah. didn't. He didn't take it all in. That's all right. Yeah. Like, just don't assume anything that you don't know. Then, <laughs> if you're just yeah. kind of sitting back and enjoying this casually, it's probably okay. I, um, I think uh, tobacco is also doing a lot. Just to bounce off of your point, I think tobacco is also doing a lot of heavy lifting uh, on this track, uh, especially like like you said, like it's an aggressive beat. It sort of makes you uncomfortable, uh, and especially at the chorus. Uh, when like the synth, like the the sort of like scudsy, awful sk- uh, uh, synth, like almost sounds like a swarm of bees or yeah. something, like a swarm of flies. That it sort of builds to that like decaying, like you know, life from like death and neglect. Yeah, uh, just awful insects everywhere around you. Oh yeah, but these buzzing synths—they're awful. I love them. <laughs> oh yeah, I, that- and tobacco does that quite a bit. Um, I think it's uh oh what is it one plus one equals 13 oh god uh, the, the synth mirroring <laughs> yeah. what he's saying especially in the course is really cool and it it's also very unique in that track specifically i mean we i don't know if you want to get into that track yet but no yeah yeah, yeah. for sure all right I'm, I'm willing to pivot um one plus one equals 13 is very interesting because i had no idea what i was getting into until i read exactly what it's about or rather, until I like looked further into the lyrics. Oh, yeah, I can you so. can you shed some light on that? Because I feel like when I looked at this, so when I looked at it first listen, it's like yeah, lucky number thirteen, whatever, and all that stuff. Um, but I feel like what people wrote about it online is not what I am seeing from it. Right. So right. I, I'd be really interested to hear everybody's perspectives on like what they think this is about. Yeah, I think I think Frankie should take that one away. She might know more about this oh. than I even do. I don't think I know that much about it. It was just the vibe I got um, when I first listened to it. Like, the first verse is insane. Like, there's just (laughs) the references that are put in it are, like, four layers deep. Like, he's referencing Bob Dylan, referencing somebody else who's referencing, like, a song from 60 years ago or, like, a cartoon that only came out on Laserdisc in, like, 1987. It's just insane. Like, you have to strip down the whole thing and go piece by piece, like, dismembering like the actual song i'm to fairly get certain out of this it. is the only rap song i've ever heard that references the brady bunch yeah and it works <laughs> within the song oh yeah it's yeah. so like it's unendingly clever and we could talk for probably 20 minutes just uh dissecting every little reference oh, yeah it, oh. like it's it's not worth our time because we would be here all day the yeah yeah you would, you would say get about nothing that, out of it about the dismembering the the tiny things um was the way that like the whole first verse for like one plus one felt like a promethean nightmare yeah like where he's he's on the lawn getting like dismembered by the crows and like this suburban hellhole and like the tiny references are just getting like pulled out of him like teeth out of a skull and like it was like wildly disturbing and disgusting and like the idea that it's like regrowing at the same time that it's being eaten and like he just keeps like throwing pop culture references into the pile yeah. like you just like you never get a chance to take a break or like understand what's actually going on because the references never stop 
Like you never have a second to actually think about what the words mean because they mean seven different things at the same time. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's hard. What I got from it, um, just from, you know, taking a look at everything and like trying to actually dissect the, the references and, you know, all of the, the, the spiritual call outs in this song and stuff like that. What I got was a song about someone who feels like they tried their best to set things up so a certain outcome would happen. You know, I plug into that one plus one. Uh, and then it comes out completely the opposite, you know, and uh, I plug into that one plus one equals 13. And what I got from that uh, as the starting of the track is like, you can set things up a certain way so that things will be good. But sometimes your luck just completely runs out and it all goes downhill and there's literally nothing you can do about it sometimes. And I feel like it's it's kind of the song is about like that feeling of, uh, you know, losing hope when it comes to working really hard to get somewhere. Uh, but like my favorite line from it is like docs lose hope. Popes burst into flames. I'm the worst. <laughs> like, like that's sweet. Yeah. Like he's also... talking. He's talking about like you know if he were to get exercised, but like if if doctors tried to help him, they would have no idea what to do. If a pope tried to exercise him, the pope would literally catch on fire. Like there's just nothing yeah. that can happen. Nothing's working. He's trying his best, but like it's not working out. Um, and I loved that. I loved that so much. I thought it was so funny that two lines down from that, he says, troll face, roll snake eyes. I'm like, like the Brady Bunch, we got troll face in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it's the worst. See, and like this sort of ties, <laughs> like my major question for this song uh, is like here Aesop is like talking about like really like heavy, like questions that people have been struggling with forever, like, you know, of fate versus free will and like how much his decisions actually matter like when everything in his life is determined by luck at the end of the day. Right. Uh, and he chooses to engage with these questions through pop culture references uh, and through like, uh, you know, old horror movies and cartoons. There's and, even a Kill Bill reference. And Kill Bill, exactly. <laughs> so like my question is like, um, to to what extent is this effective? And like, why do you think besides just besides the fact that like hip hop in general in general is very referential mm -hmm. uh, and is always pointing towards different media uh, for inspiration? Like why specifically is this song so full of references more than any other song on the album, I believe? Right, right. Did you have any like inklings as to an answer to that? Because oh. I think I can think of one. Like I for me, I just think it's uh, sort of a reflection of how like our generation interacts and communicates generally right. uh like we are the most mediated people to ever live like every interaction that we have uh especially like through social media uh is informed by like movies and tv shows and music uh and at any time in any like conversation with anyone that you'd be having you can send like a gif from a movie or what <laughs> have you and like have like lot. actual like characters from a movie like express emotions that you are trying to express yeah like we are like so surrounded and so overcome by pop culture that it's hard to determine where actual expression begins and where you know john valjean screaming yeah ends. yeah i i you know what I never really thought about it that way because what I saw was someone who 
um, is kind of isolated and therefore the the outreach comes from uh, what you kind of ingest when it comes to like movies and music and and what you read and stuff like that like I was just thinking you know uh, you know how Tuesday talks about you know being disgusting and and kind of like letting things go and being by yourself a little bit uh, and that comes up a lot throughout this album like that's a very prevalent theme I, I thought this track was more like you know I set things up and I didn't have like friends or, or whatnot. Like I was kind of just interacting with the media around me. Um, and the, what the media and, and what I was ingesting like movies and stuff like that was telling me that if I try really hard, that something's going to work out. Um, but that's not the case, right? That's not always the case. Sometimes you're just dealt a rough hand. That's, that's all I got from it was like, you know, and I think the the referential aspect of it is kind of turning references on its head when it comes to the hip hop medium and kind of referencing things that aren't necessarily, um, you know, something that you would want to show off that you know a lot about. <laughs> I feel like it, it also goes like, it's it's funny to me that you mentioned like our generation when he is like, where, when was he born? Like, was he like 81 or something? Eight? Uh He's 44. I checked. Yeah, yeah. He was born in 76. So like he's 44 years old. I think the way that he's like referencing media is um, you have that whole generation. They were called like raised by television children Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Because he grew up in like a fairly religious household. And I think there was like a lot of poverty in his neighborhood and TV and movies and music was like a, a pretty good equalizer for references. And it really speaks to somebody I think that was really isolated and didn't have like the monetary means to have different hobbies except for TV and movies. And that's something that he's really like tapped into as part of his personality or at least part of what he remembers from being a child. And I think that what you're supposed to glean from that is that because all of his memories are so indebted to the media of the time that there was less happening for him on other fronts that would be more associated with like the traditional childhood, like the Stranger Things childhood of the 80s. Right. Where everybody's like running around on bikes with aliens and stuff. And he's like, <laughs> no, yeah. like he's like, I'm watching was, the Brady Bunch. I was painfully alone watching the Brady Bunch in my basement. Yeah. And like, I think it's I think it's hinting at the isolation was something that wasn't new for him especially right like on. with those media references. And I think uh, I think the music lends to that as well in this track. Um, I think the music for the whole album kind of lends to that outsider-ness, right? Like the, the feeling of inclusion that was lost in that it wasn't necessarily there. I don't know if he lost it. I think he didn't want it. Well, I think it was, yeah, I think yeah. it was, he, he doesn't relate to the inclusion yeah. necessarily. And I think Tobacco's music amplifies that so much because the music you're sitting there and you're like this could just not be a hip-hop album if it didn't want to be i don't even know like i don't know is it a hip-hop album that's the real question it's, cer- <laughs> it's certainly a it feels album. like a weird like electronica mix just because the backing stuff is so wild that's true that's yeah. true yeah i guess you could take a lot from it it's definitely genre bending Okay, so I have something that i really noticed with this and i don't know if it was intentional or if it was something that i just picked up because this is what I do. Um, but I noticed that all of his spiritual references were very tokenizing. And it pulled out, and I don't know if maybe, again, this is something that I just picked up on, is that a lot of these good luck charms we have tend to be 
like little tokens we've taken from like legitimate spiritualities and like tribal cultures especially and it really like made me realize this with a line about I'm a vacationing Brady with a tiki surfs up because that like the episode it's referencing is where like the Brady kid has that tiki and is like oh I'm great I'm so lucky and then like the actual culture is like no that's a bad luck charm like what are you doing right right and I think it's you know and then later on like he talks about rabbit's feet talks about dream catchers uh just even the idea of bad juju um you know it all seems very like tokenized to me um and again I don't know if this was intentional but I just it was very you know a very common theme throughout this song I think it I think it certainly is because um, we've been talking a lot about how Ace is explaining uh, his relation to kind of what he's ingested and, and kind of the hands that he's been dealt, so to speak. But the chorus itself says, um, you know, leaders of the free world blowing on dice. We load our bows, we close our eyes. And I think he's definitely talking about more than just himself. I think he's like specifically talking about his relationship with things and but I think he's relating his experience to people who have even made it and the people that are getting abused by that. Um so I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot more to this. I think it's kind of trying to bring in everybody else as well, even mm-hmm. people who are, you know, affected by the tokenizing of these different uh spiritual like relics and 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 uh symbols and stuff like that like i think everyone is involved and not just him oh i think he's got like a giant problem with any kind of like systematic body of control like yeah police government politics religion like specifically religion because it comes up so much everywhere in every single song mm-hmm. but never never in a, a nice way and never even in like in a way that it isn't objectively terrible yeah. Yeah. yeah i was i was gonna say like the the what i read from him listing all these different cultures and their different uh totems uh is him saying i i am unlucky on every front in any culture that you can think of uh i'm breaking mirrors uh rabbit's feet don't work for me like nothing works right. i am the most unlucky person uh and then that even translates into christianity he has this line uh, sure, his mercy is a myth in all the word, worlds there ever were, uh, which I, I think is a Candide reference uh, where uh, there's, what's that guy's name? Polyglot? Polyglot? Um, there's one um, professor character uh, who teaches uh, the heroes that we live in the greatest of all possible worlds. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, like anything bad that happens happens because it will cause much more good later on uh, because God wills good things. So any bad thing must actually be good. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Right. Uh, And here he like, obviously we're supposed to find that character like to be a fool. Yes. Uh, And uh, Aesop agrees with him here uh, and then moves like from that verse to the next verse where he references so he goes from like uh, questioning God's mercy to talking about how Satan wins all the time with this in- intensely clever line. I loved this. My lucky sevens only make it up to six. Every three tries, Satan kind of wins. <laughs> I, so, so cool. Yeah, that I is love that. Very good. That is really good. Um, and uh, yeah, so like um, 
one plus one equals 13, like, again, like, has this obsession with, like, the diabolical uh, and the satanic, uh, which sort of uh, leads us nicely into probably is this i don't know if it's the best track but it's probably the most interesting track Definitely for the me weirdest track Th- yeah oh, acid I, king I, yeah especially because it's so synth heavy i had yes. such a jam to the song when i heard it and then i read the lyrics and i was like oh, oh, oh it's, it's, it's a lot <laughs> maybe we don't jam out to this with the windows down yeah who wants I to walk us through what this oh, song Chancer is about? i want to see dean do it <laughs> oh i don't have as much written on it as you do probably okay let's let's do dean and then chancellor can i'll fill in whatever I'll tell him weird where backdoor wrong. knowledge he's got on this yeah so uh this song um is a ballad almost uh this tells the story of ricky casso uh who killed his friend uh gary lowers in northport new york in 1984 uh this was a sensation in the news, as you can imagine at the time, especially because uh, Casso said that the devil told him to kill his friend. Uh, and he did it in a sort of gruesome way. Uh, I don't know if you know more about that. Oh, he, he did it in a, in a horribly gruesome way. I'm going to I'm going to look up safe for radio, but I'm still <laughs> curious what happened. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can we can cut this. But um Okay, so if you're listening to Listening Party, folks, we're going to not play what Chancellor just told us, and instead you can look it up yourselves if you're interested. Yeah, Yeah. wowzers. It's pretty gruesome. It's a a pretty gruesome. Look up what's safe for radio, because I was like, yeah, you know, just some things going on. I was like, maybe maybe (laughs) I'm a little desensitized. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like this feeds into uh, the satanic panic of the 80s where everyone was very concerned uh, about the soul of the nation uh, vis-a-vis rock music and Dungeons and Dragons uh, and things like these uh, that kids were obsessed with and were going to turn them into awful like cult leader uh glowing-eyed psychopaths yeah Yeah, it was also the start of um like satanism in general right it came out in the 80s and so it kind of got twisted to be you know it like uh, if anybody doesn't know I'm sure you guys all do but like Satanism is a satire religion, right? It's, you know, a bunch of atheists that are saying like, look, we're going to make a laughing stock out of this kind of worship of a deity figure in order to make a political point. And Mm -hmm. what happened is like, then it got associated with rock music and this kind of movement of like, well, if you're a Satanist, you must be into the occult and like devil worshiping, not just like satire. So like, played into all of this kind of brought about the whole like political revolution pretty, especially with rock music pretty much anything critical of christianity's hold on society was considered satanic in the oh, yeah, 80s yeah, for sure like uh and even anything that had to do with like fantasy like if you read fantasy novels or uh played dungeons and dragons or anything like that you were immediately um considered to be a satanist because of your interest or even just like the peaked interest in occult and stuff like that. Like you couldn't even be interested in that without your community um, considering you to be worshiping the devil. Yeah. And ostracizing you as well, which is, I think where some of that topic comes into play in this um, is kind of the idea of ostracizing based on, you know, your like of heavy rock music. Right. Which yeah. is, I think what comes up a bit in this song. Oh yeah. He, he, he kind of gives like a, a sympathetic view to um, Casso. I don't know if you guys agree with me on that, but like, oh, definitely. Um, I think he he's kind of saying like 
this wouldn't have ended up so poorly if he had someone who or or if something saw him as anything more than just this Satan worshiper, right? Like uh Northport, New York is a very well known and very established Christian community. Um Aesop has said that they're hysterically Christian. He grew up in that area, so that's where his fascination of of uh Casso comes into play. And uh, Ace himself was told that he was into devil music and that he was a, a devil worshiper because the music that he enjoyed and also the drugs that he did and stuff like that, which just made Ace more interested in satanic and the occult and uh, kind of any of those practices because he heard about it so much. And he was like, wait, is does this encompass all of my interests? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think... Ace is kind of looking at Ricky Casso and and seeing himself uh, as someone who's kind of been set aside and ostracized for what they enjoy and kind of saying like, you know, this the outcome was horrible, but it could have been so much better if people didn't treat Casso like an outsider and didn't exclude him from... Uh, any kind of like help or well-being and rather they just painted him as some satanist who was doing things for the occult um and 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 for himself rather than maybe he had mental health issues and maybe he could have used some help and support and you know i think i think it's really interesting it's it's a really interesting take on a very high profile murder case to look at the murder and be like wow i see a lot of myself in there even though you know, it's been discussed to no end that it was a very gruesome and horrific uh, outcome. Oh, I was just thinking, like, the song is, um, I didn't know as much about it as you did when I first listened to it, but I think a lot of what he's doing, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if I agree that he's painting Queso in a sympathetic light. Instead, I feel like he's smearing the society in which Queso lived instead of glorifying Casso. Right. By saying that, like, the society and the town in which he grew up is what made him act like this. And he's saying that, like, potentially he could have been just, like, evil from the beginning. But because nobody cared, nobody could see what type of person he was turning into or, likewise, like, what kind of mental health supports he needed if that was the problem. And instead, the society is just taking one part of it spinning it because it takes any responsibility away from like the parents and the church culture and like the community culture by saying that it's an outside force applied on that person who used to be part of their community takes them out of the community and then removes any kind of blame that the community would have right. like any kind of repercussions that should be like put against them like obviously his parents should have been charged with negligence because how did you not realize your kid was like wandering around with 17 pounds of acid every day yeah yeah like yeah well and i think he like everything you just said he kind of sums up in like the last four three and a half lines i guess um when he says but i'm sure there was more than we're told more than adults or authority could rightly decode or maybe i'm wrong and he's finally home yeah yeah, yeah that line is that's a harsh one right because essentially what he's saying is you know, um, I think the line about adults and authority being able to decode it reminds me a lot of horror films where like, you know, mom, there's a, a serial killer in my room. And it's like, nah, you're just 
dreaming go to bed kid and then the kid ends up dead or like the family ends up dead or whatever and same thing with like i'm calling the police and uh you know this this family is is stalking me and then you call the police and the police are like no everything's fine we talk to them and they're cool and then they end up dead and i think i think that's what it's kind of talking about is like the Mm -hmm. the fact that you know you could talk to the the adults or authority about what happened but like there's so many instances in 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 television of (laughs) where you see them just kind of brushing things off and it's like really these are the people that we're going to listen to when it comes to um understanding what happened here maybe maybe we should take a step back it's really hard for me too with the song like the placement of the murder being in the 80s and he references it at the beginning of the song when he's talking about because this was the same time like as the aids epidemic was happening and like people were dying in like the hundreds of thousands and like or were getting sick in like incredible rates and people were dying and they didn't know why and like instead there's this huge focus on a small town murder and the panic yeah that just like ensued a, a from that incident and then as opposed to like the systematic killing of hundreds of thousands of people right due to like, government negligence yeah and it's like looking at the focus how the entire community turns on like one person and like saying that oh, it was a satanic cult when essentially like the u.s government was killing thousands of people every day because they weren't investing in mm-hmm. medical research and it's like how do you take do you that feeling that? away yeah yeah i didn't even think about that honestly like you have to remember like this would have been like a crazy like traumatic period for somebody to be a teenager and like because you're just watching people die and like if you're in an incredibly like close religious community like there's probably views on some deaths being okay or justified while some are not and how do you rectify the the murder of this boy with like the deaths of thousands of people and like this one is bad but this these ones are okay like what is the difference between that and if I feel like I am akin to Casso, what does that make me? Like, where do I deserve to be in society? Right, right. Like, that's really hard. Yeah, like, I I think the... Him putting himself in Casso's shoes to some degree in the sense where it's like, obviously, like, you could say, obviously there was more going on than just him being uh, a Satanist that led him to kill like that it would be ridiculous to sum it up like that um but it had been summed up like that i think i think um i think you're right i think there's you know this there's like two ways to go about it right where you can like oversimplify or you can make it you can try to understand the complexity of it but people are so quick to oversimplify it's the the offloading of like the blame and the repercussions which i think is what he gets really angry about yeah and it's oh yeah like even when you're the person who's committing those acts like the way queso was saying say you love satan and all of these other things like people that are suffering from the realities and like the the bonds that society has put upon them also need a scapegoat yeah and so you're just creating an endless ladder of people trying to put the blame onto something else for the reasons like something else is responsible for their actions instead of looking higher up the ladder to see that it's like the parents, the community leaders, the government, like just the general state of global affairs, which was terrifying, especially in the mid eighties. Yeah. You're in the mid eighties in New York. Yeah. All places. Um, you know, New York state is, that was a fun time in the eighties. I can imagine. Well, it's funny cause it's like so close to home too, right? Like 
for me, it was just across the river. Like mm-hmm. upstate New York was mm-hmm. always super sketchy because I don't know. In Canada, there are a lot of people on that border. Upstate New York, yeah, there's, there's there's no one. No people and no money at all. No. And you're like, wow, yeah. it's a really big tree. completely abandoned half of the state. So ask Stephanie about the importance of the, the French horn. Because like the importance of the I don't know the importance because I was it. like holy it sounds like we're we're ascending over here, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to know if you knew anything about like the use of that kind of horn in religious music because I know they also use organ a little bit in here I think like mm. church organ sounds yeah I mean organs easier to pinpoint but I think with French horn um, I don't know I think just like sonically in general I don't know if I can speak to the specific instruments but I think sonically in general like Acid King is definitely the most it has the most going on music wise out of the whole album um and i think it's really interesting as well because this was the first single that they released so like that alone we could probably dissect for like hours Mm -hmm. um but i think especially the fact that you've got so much going on it kind of mirrors the content because you've got this song about like satanic panic and you know the system being all over the place you've got yeah like how we feel about the church etc etc and then you've got this piece that's you've got so many sounds battling with one another you've got the synth you've got the french horn um if they have organ i don't remember where that is but there's definitely organ somewhere on the album i just don't remember if this is the track yeah so you've got you know especially like with the title acid king so you've got like all this imagery going on that's just so heavy so conflicting you know it really it does a really good job mirroring the song itself i think yeah and just when you said acid king it reminded me of dean saying about the vermin quality of all the songs it just makes me think about how like the rat king is like the symbol of the album if the album has one where it's all the rats tied together by the tail it's just disgusting and writhing And helpless in oh, a lot of ways, just yeah. at the whims of larger systems and fortune. Mm-hmm. But then it's also King, which is very real yeah. and, you know. Yeah, they, you own that uh, that identity as as vermin, as lesser. Mm-hmm. You like, you know, like like Tuesday, you're like almost sort of proud of it, uh, of like the, you, you know, the sort of like awful skittery thing that you have become because you're still alive. And they, they can't take that away from you, you know? Yeah, you're, oh, the, sure. you're the groundbreaking botanical epic. Exactly. Rat king for life. Now I'm curious if French horn is, like, really popular in Christian music. It was really popular in a lot of, like, BBC church focus, like, made-for-TV mm. movies that I watched as a child. So much French horn all the time. British, like, early, also early modern British music. So a lot of French horn, like lark rising and all this other stuff like i i read the 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 horn is sort of like almost like a brassy um like cinematic sound i always just like it was supposed to be like an action movie that i always relate it to like the was it saint paul at the gates like the sound of the horn at the rapture oh Mm, yeah Yeah, so that's what i always associate brass with is like the The sound of like the rapturing yeah all right, I got some some background yeah, off okay. some random website that is not entirely credible, but it'll be okay. <laughs> it's okay. So Our it says the history of right. horns starts with the use of actual animal horns, hollowed out of the marrow and blown into to create loud sounds announcing celebrations and the start of feasts, as well as for sharing warning, warnings, such as the approach of enemies and threats. So it was very popular in Hebrew music especially. 
um, and, and are used to announce major holidays such as Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He even references horns at the beginning. I'm just seeing now two horns hatched and matured to court North Pope's 84 hmm. at wow. the very beginning of the song. The listeners are really seeing like our process here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, you can't like, peek behind the curtain. Folks. It was wild while we were like looking up this stuff at home where it was just like you need an entire community of people to dissect his music like oh it's insane you need like you need the rap genius this is the only person i care about on rap genius because you need 27 other people's opinions on one line to maybe figure out what all the references are yeah. oh yeah well and that's even just like a little bit about the french horn we could probably go on for like an hour just talking about the significance of a french horn we could probably talk about this for like three hours so we should move on we said that about every song <laughs> yeah, oh, which i think no no we're just i think especially Actually, though, Acid King, I was very excited about yeah. because, you know, I got, got to talk about religion for five seconds. It's my whole thing. You <laughs> know? Oh, my God. You it. should go listen to his other stuff. I think uh, I think we should pivot right into the uh, first track, actually. Hell uh, yeah. Corn Maze, if, if everyone's OK yeah. with that. I love Corn Maze. It's so the good. thing that I noticed first off with this song, uh, even just when I first listened to it, hadn't heard it before. Immediately, you can tell that the way he's rapping and the kind of tempo he's using, the melody he's using, if there is one, um, feels like a maze. Oh, yeah. And it's very strategic and he does it very well, um, especially as you get further into the track. By the end, you almost feel like you're running around in circles. Yeah. Which I think was really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I, w- I was thinking, too, that this song it's it's crazy that this is the the first track on the album right because i think on one hand it really introduces something that he does differently both of them do differently when it comes to choruses in hip-hop so in hip-hop choruses usually are sung by uh featured artists sometimes they're sung like it's usually a melody you can grab onto usually a hook yeah there's Mm. usually some kind of a hook something you can walk away with this album has none of that when it comes to the chorus. Yeah, every chorus is boring yeah. on purpose. Yeah, every chorus is like a break. Yeah. Like the chorus comes around and it's not like, yeah, like you let's sing along. It, right? Yeah, yeah oh, you need a mental break it's to a, catch up with what he just said two minutes ago. The chorus is on these album, like this album all the way through. And I think this, this track is a really good um, example of that. Every single chorus is a rest. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's to kind of take it easy oh, and to, to reset your ears a little bit. And I think... Um, I think the interesting part too is like the melody in the choruses don't come from Ace at all. Like it comes from the synth from Tobacco's oh, yeah. end, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what your your that's your hook. Yeah, and they do like the you're right in like the maze style sound of it. If you can make like what a maze sounds like, they somehow did it here. Yeah. Well, he, like yeah. like the, this sort of like horny, not horny, <laughs> <laughs> the horn like synth. Uh, sort of like almost spiral around in these choruses it right. is wild oh yeah well, he rhymes like horses orchids orbits ignore us mornings and corners like in four lines yeah and yeah. you're just like okay and but then he tops it off with uh he rhymes up with up three times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like what are you doing to me, man? Yeah, but like, I like those. Uh, I know. I, we love the couplet at the oh, end, folks. It's not it's a very bad, Shakespeare. I was baby. gonna say it's not a bad thing because you you know he could do something crazy. 
Yeah. So it feels rewarding when he doesn't. When he just gives you one. When he just, <laughs> he like throws you, yeah, he throws one at you like yeah. a softball and you're like, hey, I did it. Look at me go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks, Ace. Thanks, Ace. You, you made it a little easier for me. But it, 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 it ends up feeling so like, uh, I don't know, it ends up feeling super cathartic the way that the verses end. Like they just kind of end. And then it's a chorus and you're taking it easy. And then you're like, okay, he's going to bombard me again. Prepare my ears a little bit. I'm reset. It's like a palate cleanser rather than um, the actual hook of the song. Like it's not the parts that you go back to. Like especially because it's not even a, you know, most choruses are where the title of the song comes from. Like, you know, you, you'd be able to pick out a song based on the chorus, right? Um, because that's the part that you hear repeated and usually that's why it's the title of the song, but he doesn't, he, they don't do that with this corn maze does not come up in the chorus. The chorus is very I don't think mild. they do with any of the songs on this entire album. Yeah. No, maybe Tuesday, but even then oh, it, yeah. it's just, just in the very beginning where he's like, it's just another Tuesday. It's more like the pre-chorus mm-hmm. Even the then, it's just chorus like, itself. It's the intonation that's catchy, right? Not yeah. the actual yeah. words where you're just like wool's up. I love the wolves up. Or Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, just another Tuesday. Like it's not the actual melody. It's it's kind of just how it's said that like that's the hook. Mm -hmm. And I think that's I think it's fascinating um once you kind of see it in that sense because it is so different uh in comparison to what a lot of people would do with an album in order to make it stick in the minds of the listeners, right? Like, it seems like that's not the purpose. The purpose is to kind of amplify everything else that's going on and not just be, you know, slap this on and sing along to the chorus. Um, and I and I really like that. And I thought that this track does a really good job at showing that off. Did you did you notice that, though? Like, the choruses are just like... Oh, yeah. They're so laid back in comparison. <laughs> but I do really like them because, again, as somebody who likes the sonic part of this album... I wouldn't say more than the lyrics, but like, you know. Oh, but musically, it's incredible. Musically, it's incredible. It's, it is nice to kind of have that bit of time where you can just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. Because normally when you're listening to music, especially hip hop that's this heavy, like not heavy, but this dense, this dense. Yeah. When you're listening to hip hop, that's this dense, you're listening to the lyrics. Right. So then sometimes what's going on in the background kind of gets lost. Mm-hmm. So it is nice to have that little bit rather than like following into a hook. You're kind of brought back into awareness of what like tobacco's doing in the background was, because it is very important. Yeah. The choruses are kind of like tobacco's verse. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, his, it's, it. it's his time to say something. And usually that's where the melody comes in or some interesting sounds or some cool like production effects and stuff like that. And I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, like a jazz piece or like a, a duo hip hop group where they're kind of going back and forth. And I feel like Tobacco takes it easy while Ace is doing his verse. And then it's like, oh, chorus time. Here I go. It's my little solo. I get to do what I want now. Um, and I think that's it's it's really interesting to hear. And I never really thought about it before until you said it like that, where it's like the chorus gives you time to rethink about the music itself um, and not just kind of get caught up in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what is this song about? Because I know... Maybe you guys don't know what this song is about. You know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I've, right. I've cracked the code. Tell us, Steve. I broke into uh, his house. Read yeah, his notes. That's right. Uh, so, folks, let's put on our hashtag resistance hats because uh, <laughs> oh. this song is about not liking Trump being president. 
Uh, <laughs> I think it's yeah, about Cheeto not liking G. presidents. Dean, that's in Rap Genius. Is it? <laughs> oh no! No, because I actually, I actually disagreed with a large portion. Of oh, me too. But anyway, the, go on. Rap go on. Genius here. Go on. Um, I want to hear your opinion. Thank you. That's yours alone. Uh, of course, it's only yeah. me, uh, folks. <laughs> I, I figured it out. Um, like this song, along with uh, probably "Save Our Ship," probably the most political songs mm-hmm. uh, sure. on this record. Um, like explicitly explicitly political yeah, yeah. oh they all that. have like a little oh bit, they, yeah. they're all political yeah. but these ones are the most like v- i him being very up in front about yeah yeah like like um more of the song is about the politics than it is about the the affects of politics yes, yeah for sure um and like mostly uh i'm getting this from the the walls up uh because like post 2016 oh. whenever you hear the word wall you immediately think of Donald Trump oh. and his wall between the U.S. Although and Mexico. Although I feel like that's old that's news really? now. Yeah, it's old news like now, nobody, but this album did yeah. come out a year ago. That's really no, interesting yeah. because my first thought when I heard Walls Up was Pink Floyd's The Wall. Really? And not Trump's Wall. No, I, I immediately I think, went to Trump's Wall. Well, I think both mine, of those. Mine is about like personal wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like my personal wall up. Yeah. 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 What, what like I, I think he's sort of, he's mirroring Trump's language here, but like, it's not, of course, it's not him agreeing with Trump or anything, but it's Imagine. like he has walls up like between himself and the world and like the awful news and like the state of the country. He like he can engage with it. He has to like live in his own little isolated world. Uh, and like you see that a lot in uh, Save Our Ship, too, where he just lists awful headlines, basically, and just horrible things happening in that country. Uh, and here he's he has to uh, like deny himself looking at that he can't bear to think about it but the verse uh in particular that really really stuck out to me um especially if you think of it as like him singing about like the spirit of the country uh, is verse three uh on Mm -hmm. genius um they reference how uh the whole verse is him talking about uh how he feels unappreciated in the rap game and that there's all these new young rappers uh, who are, like, reckless and don't really understand the art that he's doing. Uh, which, like, yeah, sure, but, like, we all know my opinion on artists talking about their art. Boring. Skip it. Uh, <laughs> so all right, so all for right. me, genius is wrong. And what I see here uh, is uh, verse 3, he says, in a lavish rabbit hole with no rabbits, uh, which informs the whole verse for me. Uh, because, you know, like the, and he, like Aesop in a few other, uh, of a few of his other tracks, uh, I don't know if they're on Malibu Ken, but they're definitely like scattered throughout his discography. He talks about rabbit holes. It's a, a re- reoccurring image for him. Uh, and the idea of like, you know, uh, of over committing and like going down the rabbit hole, um, into, you know, like a, a dangerous, uh, place. Uh, but th- this lab- rabbit hole that we're in is lavish uh, because the country is richer than it's ever been, is the richest country that's ever lived, but it's still like all gone to pot. We're still like off the deep end down the rabbit hole. Uh, but n- at this point in you know uh, 2019 with the Trump presidency uh, and with you know people just openly looting the country, um, and by that I mean billionaires, folks, uh (laughs) there is no rabbit so like we've we've completely lost our morals uh we're in this like sort of lavish hedonistic country that 
like all it can do is like feed itself to the detriment of everyone else. Uh, and there's not even like a goal that we're working towards anymore. Yeah. We're not even trying to put a man on the moon. There's no like smoke and mirrors. Like, well, we're actually like, uh, this is a, a war for freedom or anything. It's like no rabbits, no cause, no meaning. Right. Just chaos and wealth. Yeah. It just keeps happening and keeps yeah. going and going and there's no purpose. Anymore. Exactly. And I then the you. from there, like that's just the first lyric in this uh, <laughs> uh, verse. And then it goes down. Uh, he talks about young, dumb dust bunnies jump into traffic, which like for me is like the dis- the despondency of like our generation uh, and how like a lot of us feel hopeless and completely at the mercy of like these overarching systems uh done feeling unsung and savage punk we have come for your cabbage love that line so good <laughs> that line is such great. a good line uh which like maybe is like i don't know how you read that i like it makes me think of uh in avatar the last airbender <laughs> my cabbages <laughs> I did not think of that. <laughs> I have a small brain. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it's like um, we have come for your head, your head of cabbage. Uh, mm. Like this is a revolutionary call to arms. Uh, we are done feeling unsung and savage. We are coming for you, uh, Mr. President, Mr. Cheeto. Uh, <laughs> no longer. Uh, well, and then like later on in that verse, it says someday we'll find a way to make these billionaires obey us. Yeah, that's a little more explicit. Yeah. Yeah, which makes me think that I'm right. <laughs> I feel like he doesn't, like, care about Trump. I think he just hates everyone. Yeah, no, I, like, that's why, like, this oh, yeah. uh, this oh, come yeah. for your cabbage line, like, I'm, I'm sort of joking with him, like, yeah. oh, once once we defeat the president, then everything will be good again. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> that's insane. I think I it's think way more realistic. Like, yeah. denying that there will be any real action, though, because it's just, like, it is so funny and, like, ironic yeah, exactly. the way that he's talking about oh, it. Oh, for sure. It's, the way it's, that he only refers to money as food is really funny to me. Like, mm-hmm. cabbage, bread, cake, like, different parts of the song. I'm like, oh, so good. Uh, is it Kropotkin who wrote about the bread and the revolution? Am I right about that or am I wrong? Anyways. You would know more than me. <laughs> oh, I Sorry, think you're everybody. talking about, are you talking about the Russian revolution thing? Where if they, they'll take our bread, we'll give them revolution? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that, I think the relation of, of money to food is really fascinating because it happens on such a casual basis, but he's making a very explicit point that if you have money, you can eat. Yeah. And it's kind of like pointing that out, right? And like, like that's what, sort of like what wealth boils down to right, at the end right. of the day. Like you have so much and everyone else has so little that they can't eat. And that's yeah. when revolution happens. You exactly. get your peace, land, and bread. You get your let them eat cake. It all comes down to food. What? Okay. I have – there's two lines here, and, and then I'm going to let uh, Frankie talk her piece on this track because I know that, um, you know, we talked about this track for a while. But um, there's two lines here that I didn't understand from verse three Mm. that maybe either of you could tell me about. Um, Someday we'll earn a subdivision gaudier than reprobates who sit around depressed and guess the order of the Tetris reign with biblical misreckoning, son of a surly Satan torn asunder, private number, public urination. Um, That's part of the next line. But I just don't, I don't know. I can't even unpack that one. What What do you guys got? I don't know. I think that I have that line highlighted in my notes, actually, which I thought was funny. Um, it's for me. It's almost that he doesn't want um, any kind of 
like assimilation of culture. He just wants a place where he can be by himself and be depressed and have his own space in which to act the way that he wants to. So that, like the figurative like societal mask is no longer needed and he doesn't have to change the way he's acting for other people. He wants to be in a space where it's okay to act like the way he's been acting like in Tuesday and it's not seen as unproductive or unvaluable. Right. Okay. For me, like, and this sort of ties into the references that we see in 1 plus 1 equals 13, but it's, uh, I read this as a uh, demonization of the media class. And, like, especially if you think of, like, oh, like, we're at the point in our, our society where every conversation, every idea that we have is mediated through pop culture. Here he talks about, uh, we'll earn a subdivision gaudier than retrobrates gaudier than reprobates i can't say that and then way. imagine wrapping so, it yeah <laughs> yes oh my god what he's saying is all these media class people uh these people who have to sit around and guess the order of the tetris reign of like as our society collapses all these pundits and like news people who just sit back and describe to us the horrible things that are happening uh and contribute nothing uh for him and the working man uh we will eventually uh, earn our place among them uh these you know like god-awful uh hogs in the media maybe we should cut that part out no it's uh, it's funny because <laughs> it's actually i think it's it's really um what i just witnessed is <laughs> really speaking to this album steph i don't know if you noticed but when dean was talking about how this relates to um like american society frankie's face was like well, okay and then when frankie was talking about how it relates to like your personal and in the introspective Dean's like, yeah, but it's gotta be about Trump though. <laughs> and I think, I think there's so much room here. I oh, was yeah. going to say, oh, yeah. I think, I don't know if you noticed it, but I think like both of those ideas are like, yeah, like that, that's what this is about. Like, oh, for sure. Like, well, and the more that each of them speak, the more I'm looking through and saying, Oh, well that also fits into that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. with every song, you're kind of just like, yeah, no, you're you're right. <laughs> like like it's one of those situations where it's like the only way you could be totally off base is if you just don't read it. But I think the the amount of references that he's making is so applicable to so many different things that it ends up being mm -hmm. like, yeah, like even on the micro or on the macro level, this it adds up, mm -hmm, right? For like, sure. He's talking about very like um abstract ideas that can be applied to so many different we things. We talked about it a little bit yesterday where it's like that, like the Foucauldian idea of like the panopticon and the self-policing and yeah. all the different systems of power that are apparent from like the independent individual level to like the large societal structures that are all referenced all the way through the entire song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely... Or the entire it, album. It's like taking the inward and then projecting it mm -hmm. and being like, yeah, this relates to... Look at this. This is how I treat myself. But also, this is how I'm getting treated, and also this is how you know so on and so forth, right? Um, I I I <laughs> I love this. This session is great. <laughs> I'm having okay. a blast. I have a question, and I'm you know well not a question, but I have something that I think I would like to hear your opinions about because I think there's a lot of discussion throughout this track about like apocalyptic imagery, and you get it very obviously in the idea of the four horsemen. Yeah. Um, in verse two, I believe. Uh, yeah, and then you also, like, I think the line with biblical misreckoning, son of surly Satan torn asunder, also that's great. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but I think it kind of brings up this idea that we like constantly as soon as we find that there's a lack of meaning in society or in you know America Mm -hmm. especially we immediately like well it's the apocalypse you know it's uh you know the yeah we're in the end time Jesus is reckoning you know and I think it's really interesting that it's kind of turning that on its head and saying you know is it though you know like we've got all this going on we lack meaning but is this actually the apocalypse or are we just putting another figurehead at the top to tear down as like satan's son whatever i think you just like you feel like when you've reached that level of like depression you're just living living through the end times every day baby yeah right and right. not not only not hopelessness just, maybe i'm i'm reading into this talk but not only just living through the end times every day but actively defeating them mm-hmm. he talks about uh he uh pick a one horse town four horsemen got his number <laughs> i feed each i feed one the others camouflage in fluffer nutters oh it's uh, so which is good. so good but again like overcoming like war and pestilence and death every day just by living in america oh, yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of like one of those things where it's like hey i woke up this morning hey i was able to put my head on the pillow at night yeah snatching victory from the jaws of imminent defeat yeah Yeah. exactly where it's like hey one more day one more day down and i did it should we move on into save our ship after after dean was talking about his his love for politics i feel like it's a great uh a great transitional point yeah this is definitely the most overtly political one yeah yeah for sure yeah you can't deny i Um, will while dean's pulling up his notes tell you that i didn't know that save our ship meant sos and i was like wow i'm real dumb (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know did you think it meant anything no (laughs) i've never thought about it in my entire life oh my god that's cool like i was like i've never never been on a boat i guess if you've never had to signal an sos i was just like oh what would you think about it just let me drown Yeah, well, like starting off musically, uh, this song for me like s- felt like sort of like a dystopian. Uh, like we haven't mentioned vaporwave yet, for good reason. No, yeah, uh, that's be- interesting because I don't know anything about vaporwave, and oh. the people who do know about it are very passionate, and they will yell and scream at me if I misuse that term. Hell yeah! But for me, I got that sort of like, if not exactly the vaporwave style, like the sort of aesthetic of like the decaying like 80s mall which yeah. they're obsessed with if you want actually frankie can talk a little bit more about uh the genre that that the producer is using in this uh you yeah you knew a little bit about chiptune at least oh i'm just interested in chiptune in general it's just an interesting progression do you mind from his other stuff do you mind explaining to dean what uh chiptune sounds are kind of like uh, i absolutely about? can't describe chiptune to you because i'm <laughs> stupid i'm stupid dean I'm sorry. Why do we pay you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, he You're uses getting 10 like, G's an episode. He uses like a a lot of vaporwave like um what's it word iconography in um Corn Maze though mm-hmm. where he talks about are we David or are we um yeah, very, Charlotte's very so, like Microsoft the broken 95. statues and yeah, stuff and so very, I think very it's it's a good um wavelength to be on but th- most I know about chiptune is that is from like the sonic perspective so I don't know how to explain it in this case. I could tell you a little bit about chiptune. Thank Thanks you. for throwing me under the bus. For for I thought you knew Get a little on. bit more. Um, so so chiptune is really interesting, right? Uh, chiptune kind of came out in like actually it came out pretty much when people had access to home video game consoles, and uh, what you could do is 
these consoles used certain soundboards in order to make and produce the sounds that you would get from your television. But those soundboards are incredibly limiting. Like they give you very little to work with. So it's kind of crazy that you have things like the Final Fantasy soundtrack and stuff yeah. like that, where it's like, wow, you were able to make something crazy and super orchestral out of using a very limited amount of sounds. Three beeps in a boop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, you had pretty much nothing to use. So people actually started getting really into orchestrating music in that style using, you know, different processors and stuff like that, that could only produce a very limited number of sounds and using that in order to produce music. And, um, that you, so the, the heavy synth sound that you hear. And like you said, it sounds like a, like a breaking down eighties mall. It's because it, it, the, the, the style of music comes from, you know, like arcade machines and, yeah. and the sound processors that they had and stuff like that. Like that's where that aesthetic comes from. And that's why I think Vaporwave fits with that uh, assessment because, you know, Vaporwave is definitely about like 80s aesthetic and like slowing down a song so that everything sounds like a synthesizer. And, you know, um, very much like peak materialism 80s condensed into one thing and then thrown in with a bunch of reverb like it's in a hallway. Yeah. And and I think you can definitely hear that um, on this track in particular. Uh, if you didn't get like the, the vaporwave styling before, you can definitely feel it on this one. So you're saying I'm valid. Oh, yeah, you're valid. Sweet. Next week, we're going to talk about <laughs> Aeroplane Over the Sea. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> no we're not. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, an- another thing that I thought was the, the standout point for this track for me uh, was the extended reference to Subterranean Homesick Blues, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Dylan song. Oh. Actually, my favorite Bob Dylan song. Uh, so I was very happy to see it come up in this track. Uh, but he talks, uh, the the most direct reference, uh, he says, I can find it. Uh, the most direct reference uh, he has uh, is, I'm in the basement mixing up the medicine with the Wizard of Id. Uh, so... Uh, I'm uh, Johnny's in the basement uh, mixing up the medicine is a lyric from subterranean homesick blues uh, but he has to mix it with this wizard of id reference which is like I think an old 80s cartoon um, it's a comic strip I think comic strip sure uh, but yeah like that that is very much like the aesthetic here is like the this mashing up of references and genres uh, and specifically subterranean homesick blues by Dylan was about the like sort of a romantic retelling of like the lives of the beat poets Mm -hmm. uh not like direct people but sort of like their their aesthetic and what they were about and the protest movements uh and uh music of the 50s uh and how that sort of got lost in the 60s and then was refound in a different form uh but like the the real like the the beatniks the like uh, again, like the sort of these people who had to live underground because their lifestyles like did not fit with the very clean yeah. cut 50s yeah. America that were uh, that we see in TV all the time. Um, they're they're underground. They're sort of scudsy. Your, your uh, burrows and your vonnegut's. Exactly. Uh, and uh, uh, your what is it with Ginsburg's and yeah, your yeah. Kerouac's. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they live underground. They're scudsy. They are they are like vermin. In these ways, like the, again, like these um, uh, these ideas keep coming back throughout this album, and I think what he's trying to do here uh, is say that like people like himself, uh, like Aesop Rock, uh, 
are the new beat poets right uh who are living through uh this time of um conformity i want to say maybe i'm wrong in saying that but like if we if we compare like the 50s to now um uh you know like the the guys with the scraggly beards who run podcasts are the new beat poets i think is what he's trying to tell us i do like that (laughs) sentiment (laughs) that's very nice to hear right thank you ace (laughs) thanks ace (laughs) oh he's like rolling somewhere like just in circles that you said that like thank you ace thank baby you. Thank, thank, you. Ace. thank you very nice of you <laughs> i didn't want to say grave because he's not dead ace. but like maybe he just has a coffin in his house anyways I don't know. also you were talking about his dylan reference he also makes a wang chung reference in yes. this track immediately after that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like what well, well no, no, not immediately after that he has to do a princess bride reference first and then the wang chung reference but, but that's what i mean yeah, it's for like, the spiritually bankrupt well, yeah. then, and then Dr. Strangelove. I was going to say, but then he does, uh, you know, it, we're talking about references again, but the, the winkin', blinkin', and nod, and then he he rhymes that with blinky, inky, pinky, and Clyde. The you Pac-Man know, ghosts. The Pac-Man ghosts. And apparently winkin', blinkin', and nod were uh, like a from a bedtime story that I've never heard before. Yeah. But I think I think the the juxtaposition in the references right yeah you got that's important. you got the very um you know like canonical type f- references yeah, highfalutin yeah, yeah like things things that most people know if they've looked into things mm-hmm. to some degree right or if they're interested in something in particular you're going to find this because it's it's very well known and it's very popular and it's it's highly regarded and then you have things like pac-man and wang chung and yeah. and, and it's like why are, wizard of id and you're like yeah where they, are these coming from like I think that sort of builds into like him declaring himself and people in his mold as the new beat poets by like uh he has this juxtap- juxtaposition between himself and Dylan uh and then that is reverberated throughout this verse uh with these juxtapositions between like old children's stories and then Pac-Man. Yeah. Uh and like everything like has this mirror image that is not like it doesn't seem like the same thing on the surface. But, like, once you go get down to what they're trying to say, it's fundamentally the same. Right, right. And I, I find that very interesting. Yeah. And then it goes into the chorus. Yes. Which is, like, there's a lot going on there. Anyone want to grab that one from me? Because, no? Well, I don't even know how to talk about it because <laughs> it's very, like, it's very explicit. Yeah. You yeah. know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. What he's talking about, you know. It's done so. Pigs in the pews. I. It's not. There's not a lot to, like, yeah. dissect they there. They still let cops go to church. <laughs> <laughs> Churches are made for cops, Dean. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think what he did in, with the chorus and with the rhyme scheme and stuff like that is, is very clever. But I think the the open for er interpretation aspect of it is not nearly as there unless i might be wrong he's angry like he doesn't want there to be like the freedom of choice and meaning he's like yeah he's he's not mincing words on this one like it's you know we were talking about corn maze and how you know dean and frankie you were both right and and i truly believe that you both were um but in this one, when it when it comes down to the chorus and the meaning of the song i i think he's making it so blatant 
and not because he's, you know, diminishing himself as a writer, but I think he's doing it to make it more obvious to the people who are looking into what he's saying, right? Well, and I think he still has more advanced metaphors when you get to the verses, but I think he probably purposely, yeah, distilled it down in the course because you're right, just to not you know, distill the message. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. to, just to kind of like, rather than being like, Oh, we could argue about whether this is about him or whether it's about, you know, his community or whether it's about, uh, you know, the U S and it's like, no, he's talking about, he's talking specifically about, um, society and, and, you know, how the, the economy is affecting everyone and how, um, pretty much, anyone in positions of authority are abusive towards people in non positions of authority. Right. Yeah. Like if uh, corn maze is about him walling himself off and not wanting to engage in wider society and isolating himself from uh, this SOS or uh, is, or sorry, uh, save our ship is about him just completely like I'm letting it all out. Uh, And the chorus for me, I read it as just like, uh, Almost like him piling newspapers on on a desk, like him showing you headline after headline of like the the problems that this country is facing, uh, and how like again he repeats over and over again all this news. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just it's just too much to process. But then he also adds at the end, crippled and misused, which I think is very important as well because yeah, like the news being not always evidence of what's actually going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's about like the overwhelming nature of it. I think a lot of this too. Um, in in Corn Maze, he has a lyric where he's like, "Wake up in the morning in a gallon of sweat, get in the shower, like put on my face, become Malibu Ken," and like, right. it's that idea of like becoming like the Malibu Ken persona as like being like the societally friendly face that he shows people, and then he goes into like save our ship, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this is the society that you want me to yeah. to behave for." Yeah, yeah. When oh, you're yeah. all like literal monsters, barbaric. This he's is like, "There's no reason for me to have any kind of like community within yeah. like this isolation." Yeah. And you're yelling at me because I have a mushroom in my car. All yeah, right. and he's like, "It's yeah. already gone." Normal world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. It's like he's showing the 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 kind of absurdity of why do you want me to participate in this? You really want me to put on a face so I can join this? Yeah. Like you're not really setting me up in a great way. And this is far from compelling for me to even try when this is what is given to me. And this is what you're trying to entice me with. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, he's, he's talking about specifically like the, the underbelly like we've talked about before i don't like even the, think it's the underbelly i think he's like you need to stop thinking about it as like the underbelly oh and like yeah start like thinking about it as like your lived reality when you're not a billionaire right yeah. yeah i think you're right i think you're right i think uh i think uh calling it the underbelly would give it a disservice because he's literally talking about these things on a very surface level well he's saying like if you speak out like against like the cops or the government, they're gonna turn you into fertilizer for the lemongrass, homie. Don't give them a reason. Or like face yeah. down folk recycled as fish food. Yeah. Yeah. No, like this. Uh, this song was pretty prescient for our current times, coming out a year ago. Uh, he also has that lyric. Uh, 
ain't no peaceful protest mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's it's really hitting hitting the hail uh hitting the nail on the head now <laughs> if this song came out today we'd be like okay buddy like we know yeah yeah we so heard it's it before. a little yeah <laughs> yeah we're yeah. hearing yeah, be, yeah be a little more subtle about it but, but yeah he um like he didn't really this did, wasn't released at a time where that was the topic of a conversation like it was in different ways but it's different from, you it know... It wasn't as much to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. It, it'd be like if you released this in, like, you know, during Trump's inauguration or something, and you'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, he released this, like, three years after that, and and before what is going on right now with our discourse. Um, and I think in doing that, in not talking about it or releasing it at a time where this is the only thing that's occupying people's minds. It's kind of a reminder that this is happening all the time, which is also yeah. the purpose. I think exactly. it, he doesn't like allow you the space to ignore the reality that other people have. Cause once you get to like a privileged position, you can ignore Flint, Michigan. Right. But if you're living in Flint, Michigan and you don't have access to clean water, you can't ignore the situation anymore. I think the song really points to the fact that if you're ignoring that these things are happening and like you're ignoring the news, like, you have the privilege to do that in your life. Whereas he's saying like a lot of people here don't have that. Like, what is that? The line you really like Dean, you're not even a peasant. You're just a notch in a weapon. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that, that lyric, like I heard that and then I had to pause the song and like walk around. A and, little then, bit. and then he even talks that about freaked me out. like the, the distrust between the people and the politicians, right? Like, uh, looking through the politician to the lizard. Is a very classic conspiracy oh, yeah, theory they, of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, of like, uh, you know, anyone in a higher power, in a position, a high power position, yeah, it being like an alien lizard. What are they called? There's a word for that. Reptilian. Reptilian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And um, which is correct. And then even it comes down further, and it's like the promenade, mostly police with goat heads, being like, you know, these people are evil. Yeah. Satanic. It, which is which is funny because we're talking about things. He, he starts by talking about things that happen mm-hmm. and then it turns into things. It's almost like from the other side where you're looking at it from this very extreme lens. Like it's very much like, you know, the FBI are stealing children and, and giving them to vampires and stuff like that, where it's like, what? That's not happening. But it, yeah, well. in, but in, in <laughs> but in, um, in, intro- in, in introducing you to the kind of world and the society very stripped down it kind of you you get into the rest of the song and you're like yeah these um you know these conspiracy theories make sense people are just upset right like he's kind of giving light to that where you're you're kind of looking at it and you're going yeah like i i can believe it everything's really messed up good folks settle for the pits yeah like yeah yeah and and i think that's incredibly clever to do that to kind of be like, hey, look at this situation. Now you think these people are weird because they see this in a different way or they're upset about it? I think he's just got such a problem with um, like the idea of like sellout culture and like people using their like their childhood or like their young adult struggles or the poverty from like the community in which they came in to elevate their music and make it relatable. And then once they have enough money to step away from that community, they just back right off. Right. And like I think he wants... Like, I think that's where a lot of, like, his saltiness, especially in this album, comes from. And he doesn't want to give people the opportunity to back away from things that they find uncomfortable. Whether it's, like, the gross-out, like, the bodily and, like, the gross-out portions of his own mental health. Or if it's, like, the disgusting parts that are in our own 
society and that we don't have enough time to talk about it but it comes out a lot in churro where he's like yeah. eagles are magnificent they're also going to rip your cat apart while it's alive and feed it to its babies yeah churro yeah. is such a fun can i just say one more thing yeah, about yeah, uh course. save our ship before we move on so something that i noticed uh that i thought was great is when i was looking up information about this album beforehand one thing that came up was the fact that aesop rock is hilarious like everyone's like oh it's so funny so yeah. funny so and clever. i thought this definitely came out a lot in this song which i thought was very interesting as well because again you know a lot of his songs have heavy material but this one's the most like overtly heavy to you know listen to and to take in to think about but again so much of this is hilarious and you look at that kind of that the lizard line Mm-hmm. That is laugh out loud hilarious. It is. He it's does so it. funny. It's so good. Loose dogs through Scooby Doo fog. Yeah, like the Scooby Doo metaphor. Um, like one strawberry jelly, one glazed. While he's talking about hating the cops. Yeah. Yeah, and you know it's just <laughs> it's that kind of funny metaphors that I think I don't know if it's like again part of this whole you know on the surface, his music is very you know funny impressive beautifully ironic beautifully ironic yeah but then you actually like if you actually take a minute to listen to it there's a lot more going on and i thought that was very interesting and it can't it's highlighted very well in this this piece oh yeah Yeah. it's like the humor and the wit everybody wang chung for the spiritually bankrupt made me laugh out loud (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's so good and and you know to end that song off at at first light might nurse an aversion to earth science like this game comes with the worst prizes like that's yeah, oh yeah that that is a standout lyric too uh, that's, you know that sums it up for me yeah. <laughs> so steph what what's your takeaway from this album what was your what was your first you know how'd you feel when you first listened to it and what did you kind of walk away with i really enjoy the fact that it's taking the tropes of hip hop that you would normally listen to and kind of turning it on its head. He's not ignoring the kind of methods and what you use to create a hip hop song, but he's not just taking the bare minimum and saying it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's not only highlighted in just his rhyming schemes, in his um, enunciation of very strong like K's and R's and stuff, um, but as well just working with tobacco and taking that heavy synthesizer background and almost creating like an EDM album that is not EDM at all, but it's actually hip hop. But again, like as we've talked about, if you took away his lyrics completely, you'd have a really cool electronic album Oh yeah, with like heavy synth, et cetera. Um, both him and tobacco have created something very unique here and it's done very well. It's not, it's not just like a, a token album that's like, oh, okay, cool. We've got some synth going on with some rap, whatever. You know, it's actually strategically crafted, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I think, um, like, for me, when I first listened to this album, uh, my first thought was, oh, this is, like, very far from genre writing, if you could call it that. Like, this is not trying to be strictly a hip-hop album. This is trying to do a lot more. And then the more I've listened to it, I'm like, this is very experimental, but with a huge payoff. Like, it can show that this works if done right, right? And I think that's the thing that I love the most about this album and why I can never recommend, like, 
I can never recommend it enough to other people to like sit down and, and, and take a dive into this album because it's the one, it's one of those instances where you're trying something so different, but it just, it works so perfectly that, you know, nothing can really stand up against it. Uh, you know, this album, if, if you, if I haven't convinced you to listen to it, I don't know what will. <laughs> what about you, Frankie? Um, my reason to convince you to listen to this album is that it's approximately 32 minutes long. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a short so banger. You'll have a lot of good times with it. Um, I've listened to the song on repeat for a long time, basically, like since it came out. Um, I think one of the most important things about it is that it, it's very unflinching about a lot of things that are realities for people that we decide to not look at. And it's unflinching in a way that hip hop also doesn't look at very often, where it's about the feelings of the individual and like how that's impacted through the community and looking at things through a religious light and like a power structures light instead of only through very like specifically isolated communities lights which usually is what a lot of hip-hop artists do where they're specifically talking about the neighborhood that they grew up in and like the families that live around them i feel like aesop rock like goes a little bit wider and looks at the problems that are encompassed like on a national or a global scale while still keeping things incredibly individual and humbling and i think if you give it a chance to give it a really good listen it's like a ton of bangers and you're going to be like singing it forever but there's a lot of really good fuel for the resistance in there you just gotta keep doing it definitely definitely oh for sure what about yourself dean uh my issue with this album is frankie's boon which is uh that it's only 32 minutes long i wanted more (laughs) uh did you yeah i did Uh. i i feel like if this had a couple more tracks uh it would be like an all-time great uh hip-hop album for at least in my wheelhouse right right uh but yeah i love this album i think it's sort of like a love letter to like the stoner weirdo loser uh that (laughs) many of my closest friends are yeah uh and i'll always cherish it for that uh and it also uh has good politics which we do love to hear yeah uh so i can't recommend this highly enough Yeah. Cool. Thank you everyone for listening to uh, our little listening party. We hope to hear from you again next week and ciao. We love you. (laughs) Happy listening. Cool. I like happy listening.